0: Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. Today's episode is another interview. Uh, I sat down with a friend of mine, a man named Jamie Kirk, a man who dresses like a pirate. Uh, he does more than just dress like a pirate. Uh, Jamie is part of an organization here in Portland called Yar, and they do dress up like pirates for, you know, fun and revelry, uh, just because but they also do things like, you know, educational programs and presentations and that sort of thing. Uh, I actually saw him and several of his various compatriots at a local Portland con, and they did a fantastic presentation about how pirate and privateer ships worked, and it was actually a real eye-opener for me because I hadn't really thought about how the, uh, you know, bureaucracy and management and such of a ship went. Uh, also, he can go on and on and on about individual pirates that he finds cool, and he talked about some fairly disturbing parts of piracy and the slave trade, which I don't think gets into a lot of the fun swashbuckly histories. So, anyways, pirates, I know, pretty popular historical thing, but he goes into a lot of stuff that you might not have heard of, and hope you enjoy it. Cool. So actually, the first thing I want to ask you is, like, uh, before we turn the mic on, you described yourself as a historical fictioneer. Mm-hmm. So, what is that? How would you describe who you are, what you do, what your group does, that kind of thing?
1: Well, without violating any sort of copyrights, okay, uh, we are we are not imagineers, which is what Disney has. We are historical fictioneers insofar as we portray a historical time period, but we do it in a not strictly historical fashion. Mm-hmm. So we are not we're not specific or. Uh, We're not mean, I guess, about what type of fabric you use, uh, about what type of buttons you use, about what type of shoes you wear. We allow boots that weren't appropriate. Most pirates actually probably didn't wear shoes when they were on deck. Um, They only wore them when they were... Uh, actually going to town or at leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we all wear shoes. It's ridiculous for us not to. Uh, we don't care if your buttons are made out of wood or bone or metal or plastic. That's fine. As long as it looks close enough, as long as it evokes a picture in the onlooker's mind of, that's a pirate, we're okay with it.
0: Okay, but this is, there is a whole sort of like culture or subculture of people who are into this. And you mentioned there are groups who get really hardcore about replicating... You know, period where.
1: Absolutely. There's a group that uh, that we work with and uh, coordinate with a, a lot of the times called the King's Navy. Um, there are actually local groups all over the place, but the one that actually works out of Portland and Beaverton in particular, we refer to as the King's Navy. They're a great group, and they are actually very serious. So they all have to purchase on their own a replica Brown Bess, which is the type of rifle that was used. It was actually the Brown Bess with uh, a bayonet on it was considered the single most effective hand-to-hand weapon in the world for almost a 100 years. Uh, it's a terrifyingly effective weapon, particularly when used in British style.
0: So could you describe it? What does British style mean?
1: Uh, there was a They actually taught very specific t- styles of combat with the bayonet on the end. So, uh, of course, one of the reasons that we won the Revolutionary War is because we actually didn't bother doing things like ranked combat, mm-hmm. and they wore bright red shirts and coats and stayed in one place. So we hid behind trees, they fired at us, and then the, that rank would move behind, next rank would fire that breaks down against gorillas, but it doesn't actually do all that badly against other folks. And they drilled repeatedly and very well so that they could fire, repeat, fire, repeat, fire, repeat. And they moved in rank. So there was constantly fire coming from them. And then if somebody actually managed to get close enough that it was no longer logical for them to fire, then they would have fixed bayonets and fire and use those. And it, was like having a little tiny pole arm Mm -hmm. it's amazingly effective gives you an effective uh, i think five feet of reach in addition to your arms so Mm -hmm. most of the time you're actually getting to people long before they get to you so the british style of combat was in particular they would fix bayonets the front rank would kneel they would still hold their bayonets in place the second rank would fix bayonets and they would stand then the third rank would still actually be firing over their shoulders
0: you know uh it's interesting you bring that up i remember in school learning about the revolutionary war and there's almost an, uh, an idea of making fun of the British. Like, oh, ha, ha they're in a line! But the Americans, were like, scrappy. But the idea of having an organized bunch of guys who are constantly reloading and firing their weapons in an organized fashion, which means there's constantly bullets coming out of that line, does sound terrifying, but we're getting a little off-topic, actually. Uh, yes. Okay. So you describe yourself as historical fictioneers, but what kind of era and type of history do you and PDXCR want to evoke when you are evoking it?
1: Specifically what is referred to as the Golden Age of Piracy, which has somewhat floating points but is generally agreed upon to be between the years 1650 and 1720. So that's the time period that we're going for. We're specifically going for... Uh, sort of the Caribbean pirate um, look. Uh, it, we are trying to come up with um, a look and a feel similar to pirates like Blackbeard, like Black Bart, um, Wode Rogers, uh, guys from that time period.
0: Okay. And um, what would those guys actually have looked like? Well, I mean, I I know what you and your guys look like when you are out and about at cons or events or revelry or that kind of thing. Um, and there's Hollywood pirates. What would, what would those guys have
1: looked like? Shockingly similar, actually. Uh, okay. There are, there are woodcuts of Blackbeard where he is wearing belled boots. He has loose pantaloons tucked into them. He has a white shirt uh, underneath that. He has a red coat over the top of it with the sort of classic buttons that you see on the sides. Uh, not unlike the coats that the red coats wear or that you would see in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Uh, he wore a black tricorn uh, hat. Uh, the primary thing that made him so odd and the thing that you see actually a lot of times which is interesting uh, is that the the pirate pictures you see they frequently have beards or mustaches mm-hmm. and yet the time period 1650 to 1720 beards and mustaches were not in vogue really? they were not done hmm. no so they were it was one more way that they were trying to set themselves apart from from polite society. So Blackbeard was particularly odd because not only did he have a beard, it was long, it was unkempt. And the, you know, the tales about him are actually true. He would put pieces of linstock uh, braided into his beard so that his face would be wreathed in sulfurous smoke. His eyes would be red because sulfur smoke sucks. Uh, and he would have this hellish, hellish look. And the man was huge. I mean, for the time period, he was enormous. He was almost six feet tall which puts him head and shoulders above most of the other people who were 5'6 to 5'8. So he was an enormous man, barrel-chested, apparently, uh, and was apparently nearly impossible to kill.
0: Okay, and yeah, he really was a pyromaniac.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and a drunkard and had a serious violence problem. He would get drunk and abuse members of his crew. There are times where he was going to be brought up on charges because all pirate crews are essentially... Some mix between a democracy and a meritocracy, Mm -hmm. so you're not actually allowed to harm members of your own crew But he broke wrists. He broke arms. He would throw men overboard When at dock, but still
0: right, so I uh, want to ask about that actually because blackbeard is known as being kind of like pirate Satan Yeah, but um, what would a normal sort of ship in this era? How would it what would it look like and how would it operate?
1: Uh, what, it's actually difficult to answer. There were a bunch of types of ships that were used during that period of time. And in fact, the, some of the more effective pirates from which the term buccaneer comes from <laughs> were just, you know, 20 or 30 guys who lived on an island, like cook an island pig and had canoes. And a boat would come through and it would anchor for the night and they would sneak up on it in the night and they'd murder a bunch of people and then they'd hold everybody else hostage and then they'd steal as much as they could, stick it in the canoes and then hide in a bank of islands. That being said, there were some other guys. Uh, Blackbeard stole a number of ships. Uh, and as they maneuvered from one ship to another, frequently they would end up taking another ship because it was in better repair and it required less work or it was larger, carried more guns. Uh, a lot of them were, uh, the smaller ships are schooners, uh, they go up to frigate size and then there are the like crazy galleons and man-o-wars and things like that. But I don't, I don't recall any pirate ever using a man-o-war.
0: Um. This might sound like a weird question to ask, but the Queen Anne's Revenge, was that Blackbeard's ship, or was that just whatever ship he happened to have at the moment?
1: It was a couple different ships, actually. Okay. Um, he he took one ship that I think was initially called the Sparrow, but I'm not positive. I'd actually have to double-check on that. But he took a ship, renamed it the Queen Anne's Revenge, and then I believe he took another ship after that and renamed it the Queen Anne's Revenge as well, once the first one essentially was going to sink.
0: Yeah. Well, why was that name special to him?
1: I don't know. He's a weird guy. Okay. I mean, he's really, it, he's a historical fixture, and he's probably the most well-known of pirates. Like, if you ask someone to name a pirate, they will probably say Blackbeard. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, he was not terrifically effective. I mean, over the course of a two-and-a-half to three-year career, I think he took 54 ships. Whereas, operating very near the same period of time, there was a guy named Black Bart, who over the same period of time took 450 ships?
0: 450 ships.
1: Over a course of about three years. Yeah, every, I did the math once, essentially every two-and-a-half days, he was taking a ship.
0: That's uh, busy.
1: It's mind-bogglingly effective. How
0: much of this was like delegating to maybe a larger organization that he was in charge of?
1: Almost none. Yeah, uh, really? Black Bart, in particular, uh, had usually one ship, sometimes as many as three. Um, they would occasionally get together with other pirate groups, and six or seven ships would attack uh, something particularly large if they found out about a Spanish gold ship or something like that.
0: Um, what happened to him? Did he end up uh, like dead?
1: Uh, Black Bart. Black Bart was actually killed. Um, okay. It's a it's a relatively famous tale. Black Bart didn't drink, uh, and his articles in particular are one of the sets of articles that were used um, to indicate what pirate articles look like in the in the right way, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way pirate articles were written, in particular, um, some of that was used in the formation of the Constitution. Interesting, interestingly enough. Okay, uh, to, yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. The, the the sort of joking phrase, which is not entirely untrue is that pirates were the first democracy that as we think of a democracy, modern democracy. Mm -hmm. So Black Bart and his crew, Black Bart didn't drink, but did allow his men to after dark, uh, and at certain share out times. And they had just taken a relatively successful prize. So he and two other ships were, um, anchored near, uh, near a small Island and they were celebrating on board ship. And I believe, I can't remember the guy's name. It might've been Lieutenant Norquist, uh, did a relatively classic maneuver where he rigged his ship so it looked like it was slightly wounded Mm -hmm. and strayed just close enough and in lines that he could only be seen by one of the ships. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that they were already celebrating, they decided they would up anchor and go after this ship. But they were all fairly drunk. So we lured them just out of sight, sank that ship, came back, did exactly the same thing with the second ship, lured them just out of sight, and sank them. And then came back for Blackbeard's ship. Lured them out as well. Blackbeard realized that it was a ruse relatively quickly once the naval ship turned around and started firing on him. But, being the only sober guy, did the best to command his ship as well as possible, ended up catching, I believe, chain shot. Chainshot or grapeshot across the throat. Um, oh god. So it didn't kill him immediately. But it was pretty quick thereafter. And his only request was that he be buried at sea. Because if he was captured, if his body was captured, they'd put him in a gibbet and they'd tar him Mm -hmm. as a deterrent to other pirates. So the rest of his crew, because they were as loyal as they were, continued. Like, basically, the ship was crippled. They turned and ran away from the naval ship. Uh, They took the time to sew him in sailcloth with three cannonballs uh, at the bottom and sank him over the edge. And then they surrendered. Mm -hmm. And they were all killed. Wow. Yeah, that's some pretty serious loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, he was he was a teetotaler, so he didn't drink. Mm-hmm. He was a religious man, so he had services and had a chaplain on board, so really? there were services um, every Sunday.
0: This guy's just confounding all of my pirate stereotypes.
1: I, completely understandable. He's yeah. a, he's an he's amazing guy, and he's actually probably the... When you think of piracy and why you would want to dress up like a pirate, mm-hmm. um, the answer is not Blackbeard. Blackbeard was a murderous guy who was admittedly very, very clever and did some pretty cool things. Mm-hmm. And then there are other guys. Um, oh... What is his name? There's a there's a French pirate whose name I can't think of right off the top of my head. It'll come to me in a second. Uh, who is horrible. There are woodcuts of him going down and capturing natives because he heard tales of gold. And there are woodcuts of him tearing the heart out of one man and shoving it in the mouth of another. So that's wow. not the guy you want to dress like a pirate and be like. Right. You want to be like Black Bart. Okay. Everybody else had... Musicians could be commanded to play at any time by any member of the crew. Black Bart said, that's fine, but we give them Sunday off because it's the Lord's Day. <laughs> Which nobody else did. So, And also, they had the first set of insurance. So, if you lost an arm, you could get, I think, 100 crowns. If you lost your right right arm, or your dominant arm, it's like 200 crowns. Right leg, 100 crowns. Hand, 50 crowns. Eye, 50 crowns. So, you got paid out for getting wounded, which didn't happen anywhere else. Certainly didn't happen in the King's Navy.
0: That sounds awesome, actually. Actually, it doesn't sound awesome, but it's it's basically workers' comp. Yeah. Huh.
1: Yeah, it's uh, just the equivalent of disability.
0: Yeah. Um, so one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you uh, is that I saw you guys at a con a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at Wonder Northwest. You guys gave an extraordinarily impressive presentation about privateering mm-hmm. and how a ship would get a letter of mark and the like and what that would mean. Yes. So how would a ship end up well doing that, getting a letter of mark? How would you basically get a government to say, You there! Go do uh, legal maritime thievery.
1: There are a variety of ways. You could be an honest merchant who just had some guns. In which case, you could apply with no previous criminal record and say, hey, I am willing to engage in this specific type of, you know, warfare. And it's having a letter of war mark, you can only have one against the country which you are at war with. Mm -hmm. So Spain had a lot of letters of mark put out against them. Britain just loved to do that. But they were constantly going back and forth deciding whether or not they were at war. So there were a lot of guys who were actually out there with a letter of Mark. They'd sink a couple Spanish ships or steal a couple Spanish holds worth of treasure, get back home, find out they were criminals, become a pirate. Um, also, sometimes guys who did that sort of thing, or who were just outright brigands, like mm-hmm. actual pirates, no, 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 no niceness in their heart at all. <laughs> just going around taking ships would hear that there was amnesty being offered. So because... Piracy was such a significant problem during the golden age of piracy that the crown often offered amnesty for them just so they would stop screwing up trade. So under those circumstances, you could come in, ask for amnesty, and then sort of hang around and la- wait and see which way things blew. And then if we were at war with the friend or if England was at war with the French, then take a letter of Mark, say, look, I'm an accomplished seaman. I have my own vessel. I have 28-pound guns on the vessel I'm a credible threat to any single ship. Mm -hmm. And I have these three friends who also have ships. Between us, we are a credible threat to a small fleet. In which case, the crown says, yes, we recognize that you are actually doing this thing. We, you're not part of the regular Navy. You will be engaging in trade. And in addition to that, if you take these things, we will take 20% or 50% of it, but you will be allowed to legally keep the rest of it. Hmm. So that was the draw of privateering.
0: So it was kind of like maybe a shadow navy, or a weaponized merchant marine, or absolutely maritime mercenariness, or something like that.
1: Yeah. In fact, um, around yeah. In fact, I think during the Revolutionary War, uh, America had no navy, so we ended up hiring privateers mm-hmm. uh, and even actually. We didn't have a navy for quite a while. Actually, Jackson hired privateers. Well, I didn't hire privateers. I think Jean Lafitte actually came to him because there was a there was a British, not a, an entire fleet, but several British ships who were sneaking around the side and were going to ambush Jackson from the ocean. And Lafitte said, Lafitte came to him and said, "I will stop these ships if you recognize me as privateer."
0: Okay, for people who haven't heard of him, who was Lafitte?
1: Uh, Lafitte was an amazing uh, Louisiana pirate. It wasn't really Louisiana, but that's where he was living during that period of time. And he was enormously effective. He was uh, the terror of the seas for a while.
0: All right. Um, how much did piracy and privateering actually disrupt trade?
1: Depends on who you are. Okay. If you were the Spanish, an enormous amount. Because the Spanish were actually running, uh, in between the New World and Spain, they were running galleons and galleons and galleons and wars, uh, full of gold and or silver, depending on how often they could find it. Uh, and there were. Somebody was always looking to find what their route was. Yeah. Trying to capture a Spanish ship, if you could manage to find one that had been storm damaged, trying to capture it before they managed to fire their own books or their own ship was considered enormously useful. Uh, Admiral Sir Henry Thomas Morgan, Governor Admiral Sir Henry Thomas Morgan, uh, who was a pirate for a while, mm-hmm. um, despite being. Despite being the governor and despite actually... Um,
0: was this guy ever a Captain Morgan?
1: Yes. Yes, he was. <laughs> the Captain Morgan of liquor fame, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also became an admiral and became, well, loosely an admiral, and became a governor mm-hmm. of an island. Uh, and during that period of time, he was constantly trying to find out where the Spanish were going. And frequently losing orders from Britain that were saying specifically, do not engage the Spanish ships, we're not at war right now. And his argument was, if I can come back with 200 tons of gold, no one will tell me I was wrong. And he oh. was right. <laughs> so he was enormously effective that way. And it ended up taking islands, uh, did a couple very clever maneuvers, because uh, he also had some fairly significant failures.
0: Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask about the, the tools that they use in their um, in their trade, mm-hmm. if you can call it that. Uh, one of the things that you guys do is fire off black powder weapons. Yep. So... You know, there's the idea of like a big old black cannon that has like a spherical ball that comes out of it, and oftentimes in a pirate movie, there's like a guy dramatically tamping a big thing into it. Yes. Uh, what are the guns that they have and the weapons that they have actually look like, and how did they operate?
1: Some of them did actually look like that. Okay. Um, the guns that you most frequently see um, copied in movies, uh, the cannons in particular are what are referred to as long nines.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's a nine foot long gun um, that will fire sometimes a 9-pound ball, more frequently a 30- or 40-pound ball. But they had multiple types of shot as well. I mean, a single round ball is very effective for punching through the hull of a ship, but it's not very effective for clearing the decks. So for that, they would use grape shot, which is just a series of very small balls shoved in there, like a shotgun. Or if you wanted to destroy a ship's uh, rigging or masts, you'd use chain shot, which is two smaller balls than that one large ball, but with 6 to 8 feet of really stout chain in between them. So Mm -hmm. it comes flying out like a bolo, rips up masts, rips up rigging, just really destroys the ship's ability to actually turn one way or another. There are also smaller cannons. Uh, There are deck and bow chasers, which are small cannons. They're called swivel cannons. They're usually only a foot and a half to two feet long, although they can be as large as three. Uh, They fire a ball anywhere between, say, a golf ball size down to a one inch ball. And those were actually the bow chasers in particular were used for picking off officers. So you would try and get behind somebody so that the, the smallest amount of their guns possible could face you. And those guns were actually relatively accurate. So a three-foot gun that's only firing a one-inch one ball
0: mm-hmm.
1: could have some decent accuracy over distance. So you'd pick off officers from the back, lower the general efficiency of the ship, and then take it that way.
0: Uh, yeah, with regards to accuracy, uh, were these things rifled uh, generally, or did they just have like a smooth bore? Smooth bore. Okay. Yeah. Huh.
1: Mhm which is one of the interesting things about the the replicas that we use. In a lot of cases we buy uh, the most commonly used weapons during that time were for uh, personal defense at least were flintlocks. Um it was during the same period of time that there were there were also matchlocks and there were wheel locks. Wheel locks are notoriously ineffective but they're very cleverly built. They just don't work very well. Matchlocks locks work pretty well, but they're not as reliable as flint locks. And flint locks are one of the reasons, it's the thing that we always see in the pirate movie. There's a little piece of flint in the hammer, hammer comes down, strikes the frizzen. Frizzen is hardened, a small piece of metal comes off of that, burning just hot enough to land in the pan, it lights off some very fine black powder, which shoots into a hole into the barrel, lights the black powder down there, that starts to burn, the gases expand, and it shoves the ball out the barrel.
0: I can tell that you have thought a great deal about how these guns work.
1: I have, in fact. and It, it turns out that while holding one of these, you swiftly realize that should something go horribly <laughs> wrong, you have a three-pound pipe bomb in your hand.
0: Yeah, how so often,
1: we're enormously careful.
0: How often did things go wrong with weapons like these? Because... Uh, it doesn't seem like something that OSHA would be too happy about.
1: No, no, they wouldn't be. But uh, an interesting thing is many of the pirate articles actually require that each man care for his own weapons. So they weren't actually... They were usually under lock and key, because, you know, mutiny's always kind of a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the way to deal with it... I mean, it's hard to mutiny on a pirate ship because you can just vote the captain out. Um, but... That being said, it's never a good idea to have just a ton of weapons lying around. People drink and do stupid things. And these are a particularly unruly lot. But they were also required to oil, clean their own weapons, make sure that their weapons didn't have any... Their swords and axes didn't have any burrs. They didn't have any cracks. They didn't have any rust. The pistols all had to be in good working order. In a lot of cases, if you didn't have one, you'd be issued one. And it was your job to keep that in working order so that if you weren't able to use it, somebody else could. Mm -hmm. So not very often... I mean, the the larger problem you have is wear and tear. Uh, it turns out that, you know, even a large cast piece of iron, you know, shoving enough black powder down it, there's still a lot of pressure trying to get out of there. And it's not just pushing the ball out the barrel. It's also pushing in all directions at the same time. So they do occasionally crack. Okay. And then you don't use them anymore. In fact, spiking cannons was a method of making sure that people couldn't use them. What so is
0: spiking cannons?
1: It's basically taking a gigantic steel spike and some really heavy mallets and driving it perpendicular to the barrel into it oh yeah so wow. you can't fire a weapon like that you've created a single point of weakness that is where the cannon will explode
0: that sounds unpleasant
1: yeah tragically so
0: yeah i wanted to talk also about um demographics pirate mm-hmm. demographics so what were pirate demographics like with regards to uh say national origins language race um, also, there are female pirates who are very heavily mythologized mm-hmm. um, What did the crews look like in comparison to say the English Royal Navy like my my gut says more diverse? But is that actually accurate?
1: Uh, well, I mean in comparison to the British Navy. Yes, mm-hmm. the British Navy was almost entirely Scottish Irish and British obviously for mm-hmm. you know fairly obvious reasons um, pirate ships were depending on the pirate ship there were actually some American pirates Um mm-hmm. There were a lot of British pirates. There were a goodly number of Welsh pirates, oddly enough. A fair amount of Irish and one or two Scottish. There were a few French pirates. Lolanay was the name of the guy who skinned people, by the way. I just remembered his name. <laughs> yeah, Lolanet is just... He's a bad man. Uh, he there skinned was, people. Uh, yeah, he skinned people. And, he, and, and again, the woodcut of him tearing out a man's heart and shoving it in another so It's like mouth. Bruce
0: Bolton, but with a boat.
1: Yeah. Yeah, actually. Uh, and maybe slightly less compunctions, okay. um, which is a horrifying concept. Yeah. Uh, so some French, not very many Spanish, um, almost no Germans.
0: How likely would it be to actually have a boat with, say, a like multinational, multi-ethnic crew where this guy speaks English, this guy speaks French, this guy speaks, like, some, I don't know, Scandinavian or something like that?
1: Um, probably not uncommon. Okay. I mean, there were there, I would, would be shocked if there weren't at least 10 or 12 languages being spoken on all of those boats. I mean, probably primarily English. Um, but that being said, sailors pick up a lot of different things. Privateers and pirates, in particular, end up picking up crew as they take other boats. Mm -hmm. So, if you need a carpenter and your carpenter got shot in the attack, you take the other guy's carpenter and you make him sign your articles. Now, an interesting thing about how they signed articles, they always signed around the outside in a circle, Uh so you couldn't indicate that any man was first or last. And you could actually, you could request as a carpenter or a cooper or you know whatever it is that you were doing specifically, you could request that it be put in that you were that you signed the you joined the crew under duress, <laughs> and they would write, you know, you know, uh, Benjamin Hornigold under duress.
0: Um, one of the well, one of the things I was curious about, maybe this is just me barking up a weird tree, were there any kind of like pigeons or trade languages or you know cants that were developed or dialects that were developed? Um, as a reaction to having lots of people with different national origins and suddenly have to work together.
1: Nope. Oh. There is actually Okay then. It's a funny <laughs> thing. Well we, we this is the thing that we discuss in PDHR as private as professional privateers. Uh-huh. There is actually no Pirate Speak. Okay. It's just we've become used to the idea of, Yar, lad, what are you doing there? Look to yeah. you being all short and whatnot. <laughs> and that's that's the kind of thing that we came up with because we watched movies. And mm. then doing further research, there was no there was no Pirate Speak they spoke wherever they spoke in the manner of wherever they came from if they were a you know main whaler
0: so talking like a pirate means talking like however you talk and
1: yeah you just try and figure out where it is your character would have come from and then backtrack as much as possible to figure out what they would have spoken like in that area
0: okay so pirates speak like the pirate accent and stuff like that mm-hmm. like i think this has been covered on the internets before but for those who haven't you know heard about it where does that come from
1: uh, a lot of it's actually nautical language I mean, if you, if you mean the terminology itself, if you mean like, where does the pirate accent come from?
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Let's, let's do both the language and the accent.
1: Well, the accent comes from things like, uh, old movies, um, Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, uh, movies like that, where somebody just came up to the conclusion that like, this is how pirates talked. So they did it first and everybody followed afterwards.
0: Okay. What about uh, a lot of nautical language?
1: The Nautical Languages came up because they had been sailors at one time or another, mm-hmm. in most cases. I mean, there were some guys who just joined because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time or just wanted to get away from some oppressive government or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, no. The, I mean, you just have to you have to know what a foc'sle is after a while. You have to know what the gunwales are. You have to know where the head is. You have to know where, you know, aft, fore, aft, starboard, port. These things become super important. Otherwise, you jump off the wrong side of the boat.
0: Okay, so really it should be like, talk like an old-timey sailor day or something like that. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, but that's not as amusing. Uh,
0: No, it's not as amusing. And then, I mean,
1: there's almost no shiver me timbers, there's no walk the plank, although only one guy ever made a guy walk the plank.
0: Okay, um, under what circumstances did that happen?
1: It happened actually because a guy had read, (laughs) because a guy had heard that somebody had written a story about walking the plank, (laughs) and so he forced his crew to lash a plank and made a guy walk it. It only happened the one time. But historically speaking, there's only one reference to it ever having happened. And actually, um, in town, there's a, in Portland, there's a, a cartoonist who has spent time on the Lady Washington and the Hawaiian Chieftain, which are two tall ships that sail out of Westport Washington,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Lucy Bellwood. And, okay. Yeah,
0: she's yeah. done a bunch of nautical comics.
1: Yeah, so Lucy Bellwood actually did specifically a comic about walking the plank and why it's so impractical. It's hard to lash a plank in place in a manner that you can actually make a man walk down it. <laughs> why would you spend an hour and a half with a carpenter and a cooper rigging up this plank just so you can have a guy walk it when you're just going to take it down when you're done? Just push him overboard. You know, there are little there, there are portions of the railing that just fold out of place. So you can bring non-cargo and things like that. So you just pull that out of place and push the guy off the side. <laughs> All of that walk in the plank is j- solely for dramatic intent.
0: Was being a pirate or a privateer a good career move?
1: It was enormously successful, yes. Okay. In most cases. Uh, being If you had the skill set to be in the King's Navy... Uh, if you had been in the king's navy or any sort of navy for any brief period of time, you would realize that it was a horrible place to be. Mm-hmm. The officers were absolute dictators. Uh, they would have a man whipped for next to nothing just to ensure that there was discipline on board the ship. That's why there were so many mutinies or so many attempted mutinies. Uh, and the pay was abysmal. It was really terrible. And if you were harmed, too bad. Nobody cared. You took the king's coin and that's what you get for it. Whereas actually joining a privateer ship or joining a pirate, you could become enormously wealthy. In a very short period of time for doing exactly the same work
0: do we have any records of pirates who just made a giant pile of money and then retired on a nice island somewhere or something
1: uh, yes and no there are there are less versions of that in the golden age of piracy and historical piracy and particularly in and around the Caribbean. Uh, that being said, the, in my opinion, the single most effective pirate in history was uh, a lady named Ching Shi, mm-hmm. who was a Chinese pirate, I think at the, I think late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, and there were, there were questions as to how many men she had under her command at one time or another, but there are definite, she definitely at one point had at least 70,000 men under her command. Uh, and she ransomed entire counties back to the government of China just by letting her men have a uh, shore leave, letting them go in and essentially occupy a town. 70,000 people takes over a 30,000 person town. There is no fight. You just send a messenger to the capital and say, if you send us two wagon loads of gold, we'll get out of your way. They did that for quite a while. And then eventually the government petitioned her to stop. So they offered amnesty for almost everybody out of her entire crew of 70,000. Only 75 were hanged or, you know, dealt with harshly 30,000 of them joined the Navy 40,000 of, I think went off and just did whatever, you know, either became merchants or something like that. And she personally um, ended up retiring in the North uh, lived until she was in her late seventies and had a bunch of grandkids and died peacefully.
0: That sounds great.
1: She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was, she was essentially, uh, she was a prostitute, I think, who ended up marrying a guy who was, uh, the leader of something like the red hand gang Mm -hmm. and he was killed in combat, uh, and they were being routed. And so she took over in his place and said, look, you gotta listen to me. I'll get you out of this. Nobody wanted to at first. And then she started issuing commands that made sense. They Mm -hmm. won that battle. And afterwards, she put an amazingly uh, strict set of rules in place, which were not unlike the Golden Age piracy. Some of the some of the sets of articles: you couldn't press a man or a woman; you couldn't force them into sex; you couldn't bring them on board the ship if they didn't want to come. Uh, rape was outlawed. The punishment for rape was murder or was death. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would have you killed. Um, there was no stealing from other pirates; you'd lose a hand or be killed. Uh, so the crime within her own crime syndicate <laughs> went down dramatically. <laughs> She actually, she became so successful that the only thing that she could logically commit crime on was a government.
0: That's extremely impressive.
1: Yeah, she's amazing!
0: Are there any other, like, obscure uh, pirates that a lot of people might not have heard of? Because people think, you know, Blackbeard, Captain Kidd, any other, like, uh, Diamonds in a rough that...
1: uh... Black Caesar. Oh. Black Caesar was uh, a black pirate who ended up... I can't remember if he took over... I think he was initially... I think he was set to be sold into slavery and ended up taking over the ship uh freeing the rest of the slaves and then he had essentially the entire, the only all black uh pirate group for a long period of time unfortunately one of the other nicknames for piracy which is one of the reasons why we very specifically as pdxr indicate that we are privateers to differentiate between that so one of the other names for piracy is the sweet trade because there was a lot of trade they would uh hijack a ship of slaves Mm -hmm. Sell the slaves, uh, buy molasses, sell the molasses to the people who were making rum, buy the rum, sell that, uh, and then it just became this. And then they could actually sail all the way over to Africa and sell the rum, Mm -hmm. which there were people over there using to get the native villagers drunk and then tossing them on board ships and putting chains on them. Oh, man. So we very clearly differentiate that we are privateers rather than pirates because privateers did significantly less of that sort of thing.
0: Okay, so piracy was intertwined with that whole sort of triangle trade. Of- oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's.
1: I mean, not as much. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously we we as pirates or the joke we as pirates and our privateers had nowhere near the kind of leverage that the governments had. Mm-hmm. So they were they were doing it in an institutionalized fashion, and we were just picking it off. Right. But yeah, it's really, it's the thing we, it's one of the things that we least like to talk about when people ask questions, because it's just wretched and there is no excuse for it.
0: That is completely understandable. It's actually, like, more uncomfortable than the murder.
1: Yeah. 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 I absolutely agree. It's, <laughs> it's, that's the, out of all the things that pirates did, with the, po- with the possible exception of Lolanay, who, for which there was also no excuse, uh, mm-hmm. that is the one thing for which you cannot. You you just can't talk about it in any way that's constructive, aside from educational things, where we will occasionally talk about it and point out that yeah, we do this thing and it's fun and yar 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 yar. Here's the dark side.
0: Lolané. Mm-hmm.
1: What was that? Lolanay was the guy who skinned people. Oh yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. Okay. Uh, let's get back to uh, Black Caesar. Um, yeah. Who was he? What was he about? What did
1: he do? Uh, I wish I knew more about him actually. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, at one time or another, I believe he was a slave. Um, he ended up taking over a ship. Uh, he captained the ship and was reasonably successful for a couple of years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I don't remember whether he retired or was killed though, but I think at one time he was, I know he was part of a larger fleet. Every once in a while, a bunch of pirates would get together and sort of create some sort of horrifying, like raiding fleet. And I know that he was part of one that involved Blackbeard at one time, but I don't remember how he ended, unfortunately. Okay. Huh. But he was reasonably effective. I mean, he's on the, there's a list of essentially the, the 20 most successful pirates based on how much they took um, and what it would mean in real world money. And I think over the course of like a two or three year career, he and his ship made about 2 million bucks in what would be today's money. There's another guy who made something like 450 million though. So, yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's upsides and downsides.
0: Okay. Um, one last thing. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite books and sources on pirates. If somebody wants to know more.
1: Uh, Under the Black Flag is a great book uh, there's another one I think it's called On the, On the Practice of Piracy uh, it's not bad honestly one of the better books to get, a, to get a start to see if it's something you're interested in is The Idiot's Guide to Piracy <laughs> everybody okay. I used to be part of a pirate group and everybody who joined they would hand you the copy of the book like read that you're going to need to know and then from there do your own research further forth
0: alright very cool Jamie, thanks for
1: talking with me today. Joe, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right. That was our conversation with Jamie Kirk of PDXR. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you enjoy this podcast, I would love it if you supported our Patreon campaign. Uh, Patreon is something that allows you to donate a little bit every month to a thing you like, like a podcast, for example, like this podcast. Go to interestingtimespodcast.com and click on support IT on Patreon and you can sign up for however much you want a month. Uh, Also, if you're dying to find a new place on the internet to follow me, I'm on Tumblr now. joestreckert.tumblr.com I'll be posting the podcast episodes, actually lots of history stuff, and several miscellaneous things involving comic books. So if you want to follow me on Tumblr, you can do that. I'm on Twitter, at joestreckert. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Streckert, Go on iTunes. Go on Stitcher. Give us a review. Give us a rating. Say nice things about the podcast on the internet. And tell your friends about us. And support our Patreon. And I'll see you next week. Bye, folks.